Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. At 6.30 this morning, the Moats on air at uh, moats.tv inbox received a remarkable package. It was a threat to bomb me, and if the bomb failed, to knife me themselves. The sender of the email has already been traced. At least one, maybe two police forces are currently searching for the man who sent it. On the face of it, it appears to be a threat of terrorism against this show. So let me make this plain. Nothing will ever silence the mother of all talk shows. Neither threats nor actuality. You can kill me and you will still not stop the mother of all talk shows because many will rush to pick up the microphone that I drop. We will not be silenced. We will not be intimidated from our duty to bring to the public's attention across the Anglosphere and beyond the alternative point of view to that which is being force-fed to the sheep on the way to the charnel house in the so-called mainstream media. If we don't do it, who will do it? 974,000 people watched the mother of all talk shows in the last seven days. Just get that number round your mind. 974,000 in the last week. And of course, that's not even counting the old clips that continue to be watched, but we simply don't have the time to count them. So that's why we're receiving the kind of mail that we receive today, because we are over the target. And our target, is the systematic lying to the public by the mainstream media on the behalf of the political class which is lying its people onto the edge of a precipice over which they might drop and humanity might end. We've gone in just five days since we made the famous Munich interview which went viral. Gayatri and me made it in a street cafe about the decision of the German government to send their panzers again over the Ukrainian border to fight Russians. In just five days since we made that video, we have moved from panzers to long-range artillery to F-16s to submarines and now the demand of the coup regime in Kiev for the supply of nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons to Ukraine. What could possibly go wrong? Now, you might say, well, of course, they'll never get these things, but you once said that about the German panzers. The German government once said it about the German panzers. The last time that German panzers crossed the Ukrainian border to fight Russians 
Russian T-34 tanks ended up in the center of Berlin. Two of them are still there, supposedly as a warning to the German people and their politicians of the danger of revanchist revival, of the danger of a revival of German militarism. But that reminder has not worked. Indeed, in the last hour, I've just seen a report that a young man has been sentenced to prison in Germany for speaking out against the German government's role in the war in Ukraine. It won't be long before that kind of thing starts to happen elsewhere, maybe even here. Perhaps we better put this show underground. Not a bad idea, actually, now that I come to think about it. But underground or overground, wherever we are, we will continue to broadcast, whether I'm in the chair or someone else is. We will continue to expose the absolute falsehood of the idea that somehow we are defending freedom and liberty and democracy by murdering freedom, liberty and democracy in our own countries. That is a non-sequitur that we will never cease to expose. Now talking about lies, Mad Vlad threatened to nuke Boris Johnson, according to Boris Johnson on the television in an interview in which he was promoting his new book. He's in Washington at the moment, meeting the great and the good. Well, not so good, but great and powerful, that's for sure. It is a remarkable tour. I'd like to know who's paying for it, because Boris Johnson doesn't come cheap. The parliament, of which he remains a member, though he doesn't seem to do much in the way of parliamentary work, still less in the way of constituency work, so we imagine that he'll be quitting at the next election. Boris Johnson said on television that Vladimir Putin threatened to strike him with a missile, adding it would only take a minute. Now, as it happens, Russia has no missiles but a minute away from Britain. They are six minutes away. And if they did fire a missile at Boris Johnson, it would, of course, kill a very large number of people besides Boris Johnson. So the threat, if real, is a very dark and sinister turn of events. The question is, is it real? Now, I made a movie, you'll see it in just a minute, it's only three minutes long, uh, explaining why I don't believe Boris Johnson. And 23,573 people so far have voted on our poll, which is Putin denies Boris' death threat. Who do you believe? A, Putin, B, Boris. You can vote on my Twitter, on my YouTube, on my Telegram, or on the YouTube community poll. 23,573 of you have already voted by far and away, by some distance, the biggest poll that Moats has ever run. And the results make pretty spectacular reading. But before I tell you them, let me summarize the reasons why I don't believe Boris Johnson and why I'm amazed that anybody does. In fact, if I could find out who the people are that believe Boris Johnson, I'd offer to sell them a bridge 
in London going very cheap indeed. I don't believe Boris Johnson because he lies for a living. He is the proverbial liar. He's been lying all his life. He's lied to his employers. He's lied to his colleagues. He's lied to his wives. He's lied to the husbands of other women. He's lied and lied and lied throughout his professional and political career. There's a very good case for saying he even lied to the late Her Majesty the Queen. And uh, I'm not alone in thinking that. As a liar, I have to take the view that whatever he says will have to be backed up by evidence. Now, in this case, evidence is very easily to hand. It happens to be the case that every conversation on the telephone with a British Prime Minister is meticulously recorded and logged by the civil service in Downing Street and in Whitehall. Therefore, if Boris Johnson is telling the truth about this death threat from, from uh, Vladimir Putin, the evidence is there. Now, I'm not asking for the publication of the whole conversation. There may well be diplomatic, even military reasons for not doing that. But the threat to kill Boris, a very serious matter indeed, is easily extractable from the whole. It can only have taken 15, 30, 45, 60 seconds to utter. And it's important to the British people that we know whether or not this is true. Because if it is true, it is a threat to the British people by the president of the Russian Federation. And that would have serious consequences. Even for me, it would have serious consequences. But if it is a lie, as I strongly suspect that it's a lie, then it would be the apex of a mountain of lies that has been erected here in the United Kingdom. There is no country in the whole world where war fervor is more at fever pitch other than in the United States and not even in the United States as a country as a whole, but in the beltway amongst the political class. There is no place where war fervor is greater than here in Britain. And that goes back a very long way. British establishment hatred of Russia is as old as the hills. We fought them in the Crimean War, quite an interesting title for that war, isn't it? We fought them in the War of Intervention in 1920 when we landed scores of thousands of British soldiers who hadn't even been allowed to go home at the end of the First World War but were sent instead to fight Russians in Russia. Not a lot of people know that. A hundred thousand British and American troops invaded Russia at Marmansk, at Archangel, and in the Caucasus to try and regime change the government in Petrograd and later in Moscow. And they were defeated. There was a brief and glorious period when Russia was our ally in which Winston Churchill repeatedly praised, hailed both Joseph Stalin and the Red Army and the Russian and wider Soviet people for breaking the back, in Churchill's words, of the Nazi war machine. Seven out of eight casualties of the Nazi war machine 
were Soviet citizens, either soldiers or civilians. And of course, the beast of Berlin was crushed underfoot in the center of Berlin by the Red Army. And the military commander, General Zhukov, with very great prescience, said, we have crushed the beast underfoot in Berlin. Our allies will never forgive us. How perspicacious was that? And then, of course, we fought the Russians through the long Cold War, and now we're fighting them again. I say fighting. We're fighting them with America's army. We threaten them with America's army because, as I'm tired of saying, and you may be tired of hearing, the entire British armed forces could comfortably fit in to the Aston Villa football ground called Villa Park. And I mean the army, the navy, and the Air Force. Indeed, the Pentagon this very week downgraded the British military to a second-tier force. How humiliating. I must bring it up at the Oxford Union in a week or two when I debate with the head of the British Army and indeed the British Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace, whose ancestor was in the charge of the Light Brigade at Balaclava in the aforementioned battle uh, at the War of Crimea. You can imagine I'm going to have fun at the Oxford Union. I wonder if a diplomatic illness will strike Ben Wallace somehow in the interim and that he might not be able to make it. So our duty is clear. It is to expose lies. And if we are wrong, we will humbly eat pie. So let me make this promise to you. If Boris Johnson and the British government publish this tape recording, and it does indeed contain a threat to launch a missile within one minute at Boris Johnson and by extension the British people, I will eat this hat live on television for you. That's how confident I am that Boris Johnson remains always a liar. Now, let's hope the terrorist threat that was made to us at 6.30 this morning is resolved by the time I come off air. Because, you know, my family, my colleagues, the people working on this show have a right to prompt police success and a prosecution to follow. We'll be talking uh, to the great Lee Camp, the most censored comedian uh, in the world today and probably the most censored comedian in the United States ever. And that's because his humour too is always right over the target. And Brian Belletic, a former United States Marine, a military analyst, almost without peer, is our other guest on the show tonight. So, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be the mother of all talk shows. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, Putin denies Boris death threat. Who do you believe? Here's how the voting has gone so far. On YouTube... 96% of 15,000 people believe Putin and 4% believe Boris Johnson. On Telegram, 98% of 1,139 people believe Putin and 2% believe Boris Johnson. By contrast, on Twitter, 43% believe that Putin is the one telling the truth, and Boris Johnson, 57%. That's out of 7,434. Now, there was a big push by NATO's mongrel support base to uh, affect that poll, but they're either too stupid or too unnumerous to have attacked the other platforms on the poll, and therefore... They have, I'm afraid, singularly failed to affect it. 96% back Putin's version on YouTube, 98% back Putin's version on Telegram, and 43% back Putin's version on Twitter. I've got to say, it is extraordinary that people should be celebrating the fact that only 57% of uh, 7,434 people back the former British Prime Minister in his account of such a serious matter and 43% back the word or prefer the word of Vladimir Putin. On YouTube itself, on the show so far, 1,156 people have voted and 97% of those believe Putin while only 3% of those believe Boris. Of course, things could change. You've got an hour and a bit still to vote. You can vote on my Twitter, on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. We're at 242,000 subscribers now. I'm determined to get to the quarter of a million this year. So if you haven't subscribed by now, please do it or on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway. Now, Lee Camp is a comedian, a political commentator, and host of Most Censored News, which will be most of the news, actually. And he joins me now from the United States. Lee Camp, welcome, as always, to the mother of all talk shows. Let's start with news so censored, virtually nobody knows it, that... The Pentagon, again, failed its audit. In fact, has never passed an audit. What's that all about? Who's stealing America's money? Yeah, this is a massive story that has gotten almost no coverage over the past couple of months. <laughs> uh, of course, your mainstream media is not going to tell you about this. But 
our Pentagon, which uses and takes in trillions of dollars, uh, you know, the budget is in the 800 billion range. However, that doesn't count various black budget projects, those done in the dark of night. So it's well over a trillion a year. But then on top of that, over 15 years, uh, it, 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 the, the, by the Pentagon's own books, we know they had $21 trillion of unaccounted for adjustments in their books, financial adjustments. Uh, and And despite all of that, they have never passed an audit. They were legally obligated by Congress to do an audit starting in the 90s, and they never did one until about five years ago. They finally agreed to audit their books. It took over a thousand, I think maybe 2,000 auditors. It took hundreds of millions of dollars to do, and they came up with with an answer after all of that work that they had failed their audit. And then A couple of years go by and they do it again and again and again. And just recently, for the fifth time, they failed their audit. And within that failure, they said they cannot account for over half of their assets. I mean, you couldn't make this up if you were writing a comic book or something. No, you couldn't. I mean, we're used to being we used to be in something called the European Union, which never passed its audit either. Uh, but at least that got something of a public airing. At least they got an annual embarrassment out of it. Um, I'm sure that the top brass of the military are not embarrassable. But you would have thought in a democracy that the politicians overseeing this kind of reckless chicanery would at least be embarrassable, are they? No, and by all uh, evidence that I can see, Congress doesn't even seem to care. I mean, I have not seen any discussion by Congress about this yet again audit failure. Uh, The defense, you know, secretary or one of his goons came out and did a little press conference where they said we failed our audit, but we made progress. We came to a conclusion quicker. And my response to that is sucking quicker, failing quicker is not a win. That doesn't go down as you actually succeeding. And yet here they are with no shame saying that's the answer after five audits. And I don't think they will ever uh, reveal their books, reveal what's actually going on. Like I said, in some of the revelations we've seen, we know that they can't account for over half their assets. And these are literally things like, it's everything from weapons to, to tanks to jets to buildings and roads. They, the Pentagon, with 900 whatever military bases around the world, literally doesn't know every building they own. They don't know if people are in the buildings they own. And when the the uh, you know investigators go to check these things out, they often find that a building that they thought was being used is not. A building they thought wasn't being used is. Uh, they have no idea what with any of this stuff, where it is, what's happening. And they, of course, this is the largest mass murder machine in the world. And I don't mean that as some, you know, histrionic term. This is literally the largest machine of organized human murder that exists in the world right now. And they don't even know where the weapons are, where the money's going. To what extent then is America a democracy if an overweening military, as was warned of by General Eisenhower uh, as late, uh, as long ago as the 1950s, uh, has become so powerful as to be impervious even to the auditors, to what extent is America 
and not on, not, they call themselves the leading democracy. To what extent is it a democracy at all? Uh, whatever's less than zero on that, on that level. Because not only do you have all of the ways that our election systems are, are, are rigged in one form or another, of course, the biggest one being simple money. But besides that, these people are not elected. These people running the Pentagon everywhere, throughout the entire structure of the Pentagon, these are unelected people. And then on top of that, the elected, so-called elected people that we have in Congress and in the White House, they aren't even looking into these books. They don't even seem to care that there's trillions of dollars of so-called missing assets and and $21 trillion of unaccounted for adjustments. I, I mean, it, they are completely unaccountable to anyone, not the not the uh, average Americans, not the uh, representatives that supposedly represent us. And the mainstream media, what you know, they supposedly supposedly supposed to be the ones that that look into this type of thing, that uh, call these politicians and this Pentagon to account for for these horrible, grievous actions. And they, if anything, they generally defend the actions of the Pentagon. The New York Times famously did an article trying to defend the 21 trillion of unaccounted for adjustments, financial adjustments, by saying, oh, well, generals aren't very good at keeping the books. As if that explains $21 trillion. It, of course, cannot. It has to be something systemic. They have to intentionally be laundering this money. It is the world's largest laundering machine, money laundering machine, really. It puts the, it takes the money from the taxpayers, which is really printed by our central banking system. It takes that money and it launders it through the Pentagon and it puts it in the pockets of weapons contractors and politicians and, and, and think tanks. And it's a, it's a money laundering scheme. I mean, I was going to, it's a bit unfair because neither of us is an economist, but how, how can America afford all of this, Lee? Where does all this money come from? The last time I looked, the United States manufacturing base was shrunken, its infrastructure rotting and crumbling. I know that half of the people of the United States are either officially poor or on low incomes, 70% without proper health care insurance and so on. Where does all this money come from and why is it spent in such a madcap way? Well, that's why I love coming on your show because you get to the key question. You get to the heart of the issue. Uh, the, the truth is, uh, America doesn't have this money. We go into debt to the tune of, what, what is it, $30 trillion now or something like that. It's it's largely meaningless. Now, why does our currency not lose power when you're 30 trillion in debt and you're just printing money out of nowhere endlessly? Because of the petrodollar and the dollar being the global reserve currency. So as long as that petroleum is still flowing and the, most nations are using the dollar as reserve currency, we can print as much as we want, which is what the United States does. Yet they still run around with this dog and pony show saying, oh, we need to collect tax dollars in order to be able to afford things. But of course, that's not the real heart of the issue. That's not where the real truth lays. And they, you know, meanwhile, they use that same 
same lie to say we don't have enough money whenever you say Americans should have health care, Americans should have good social security, should have better schools, should fix that infrastructure you missed. You mentioned with with uh, 50,000 structurally deficient bridges across the United States. Who knows when another one of those will collapse underneath your car? Whenever people say we need all these things that a functioning, positive, good, healthy society should have, our lawmakers do their job, do their job in this Shakespearean tragedy by running around and saying we don't have the money for that. But when it comes to dropping bombs, when it comes to weapon contractors, when it comes to funding proxy wars in Ukraine, we have all the money in the world. It's always there. And uh, your friend and mine, Jimmy Dore, was on the show on, uh, on Sunday, uh, and he, he drew the analogy uh, of uh, the U.S. political system, uh, the, the Republican-Democrat uh, dog-and-pony show. Uh, he drew the analogy of the Harlem Globetrotters. In other words, it's not really basketball, it's just a show. Uh, that didn't translate all that well uh, to a U.K. audience. <laughs> Uh, so I was thinking about how to do so, and it, it struck me, it's like professional wrestling. Uh, the two wrestlers pretend to fight each other, and the audience pretend that they're watching a real fight when everybody concerned knows that it's an entirely choreographed farce. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. And when I used to watch it as a kid, I don't know if they still do this. They used to always have the big names, the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man Randy Savages against some guy you'd never heard of. And you kind of knew who was going to win and who was going to lose because you knew it was choreographed yeah. and you knew the guy you'd never heard of wasn't going to beat Hulk Hogan. And that's, you know, that's what it is with the Democrats and the Republicans. The Democrats go, oh, we want to help people. We should do something for health care. We should, et cetera. And the Republicans go, no, no, no. And what do you know? The Democrats just can never get those things to happen. They can never really get a, a minimum wage, good minimum wage for people. They can just never make these changes. But they do. They go through the show anyway. They go through the theatrics anyway. Although there has been one change over the past, you know, 20 years in that neither party seems to stand up against war at all. There's essentially zero debate against war. Maybe there's a couple of Republicans that are against the proxy war in Ukraine, but there's really no anti-war party even to pretend that they are against it. It, it doesn't exist. Now, the president of the Republic had his house in Delaware raided today by the FBI. Uh, as the previous president of the Republic had his house raided by the FBI in Florida a couple of months ago. What on earth is going on, Lee? Well, there's a couple of things going on. One thing is, I mean, is anyone surprised Joe Biden doesn't know which papers are where? I mean, I don't think he knows which room he's in, uh, you know, and Trump's brain isn't much better. But Beyond that, as former CIA man John Kerryaku said, this speaks to the insane classification that goes on with American government now. Every paper that ever passes through the White House in any regard is classified because, the, how, you know, God forbid they ever show the American people what is actually happening in the White House. So you have meaningless pieces of paper being classified endlessly. So that's part of it. But then the other thing I think is, you know, the, the, the ongoing thing with Trump, and I'm no fan of Trump. I'm no fan of Biden, uh, is that the, the it's a rift in the ruling elite, the ruling class. 
many of them, probably, you know, 70, 80 percent did not think Trump was a good CEO for America, Inc. And they want him out of the way. They think he'd likely win a reelection if he's allowed to run, you know, quote unquote, fairly in our rigged system. And so they needed a way to stop him. Now, and they thought they had it with this classified papers thing. But it turns out that Biden and Pence and probably every president has had classified papers stuck to their shoe all over the place. <laughs> Now, I read a story today, uh, please tell me this can't be true, that uh, in place of Joe Biden, and you'd have to be a real optimist to believe that he can run again in two years' yeah. time, uh, the Democrats are grooming Michelle Obama to run for, as it were, a third Obama White House. Is that true? <laughs> I haven't read that one, but... Who, who knows? I remember uh, a few years ago they were saying it was going to be Oprah was going to going to take over. But, you know, I think what this speaks to is that it's it's a borderline meaningless position. Uh, that doesn't mean there some things don't change. I mean, some things do change, but it, it largely the machinery of the system in America continues exactly apace. It doesn't really change. The military industrial complex continues. Big pharma continues. Big oil continues. Big ag continues. None of it changes that severely. There are some trimmings here and there that get adjusted. But for the most part, the, the, the two corporate teams that are on the same team 90% of the time just want to put someone up that represents uh, a, 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 the idea that Americans actually had a choice. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's laughable and good for you as, uh, as a comedian, uh, the, this, uh, this dog and pony show, as you put it. But for those of us in the rest of the world, it, it, it's less than laughable or more than laughable in the sense that uh, your government is effectively dictating to all the other governments of what they call the West. Now, the West is only 13% of the population of the world, but it happens to be the place where we have to live. Uh, and European governments have now self-lacerated their own economies. They've self-harmed their own economies and their own people on the orders of a guy who, as you put it, doesn't know which room he's in, what day it is. It, you see our, our, our quandary here, Lee. Yeah, and I, I think the, the, it's because of the big picture. The big picture is the U.S. is losing uh, global hegemony. There's a great split in the world's economy ha happening right now, economies with China and Russia on one side and the U.S. and Europe on the other. And the U.S. was is using this proxy war for multiple things, but one of them is to force much of Europe back into a kind of vassal state system. And, you know, especially with, with Germany and France, they were kind of forced into this. You can either cooperate with Russia or you can cooperate with the United States, but you can't have both. And so now, like as you appropriately put it, they're self-harming and the UK along with them to in order to stay in the, the good graces of uh, a bloodthirsty uh, hegemony. Wow. Well, uh, the Oscars are coming up, Lee. Uh, have you got any insight into them uh, for us? Uh, is Zelensky going to show up? I, I, I do have some insight into the Oscars, and we did not discuss this before I got on here, but 
Uh, I certainly hope Zelensky does not show up, but he could win a best acting award. I think that would be that would be uh, well deserved. Uh, you know, being the being the head of being a Jew like myself and the head of a, a fairly neo-Nazi army is quite an acting uh, achievement. But I also will make a call in the uh, in the genre, uh, the the area of uh, best animated film. I think it will go to my brother's movie, Marcel the Shell with Shoes. My brother is up for best animated film. Well, I'm getting on that right away. If the bookmakers are still open, Lee Camp, thank you for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. How remarkable, I had no idea. Putin denies Boris death threat. Who do you believe? A, Putin, B, Boris. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube, on my Telegram, or on the YouTube community poll. 25,327 people have voted so far. I'll be right back. The 1897 edition of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, read by George Galloway, available only on Patreon. The cylinder was artificial, hollow, with an end that screwed out. Something within the cylinder was unscrewing the top. Good heavens, said Ogilvy. There's a man in it, men in it, half roasted to death, trying to escape. At once, with a quick mental leap, he linked the thing with the flash on Mars. The thought of the confined creature was so dreadful to him that he forgot the heat and went forward to the cylinder to help turn. But luckily, the dull radiation arrested him before he could burn his hands on the still glowing metal. Listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Maximum respect to my Patreon followers, and I hope they're enjoying the war of the world. Some great comments from Patreon tonight. Uh, George, can you please have some world class economists on your show? We are in an east-west economic war, yet the economy is poorly understood by many. For example, does raising interest rates really lower inflation, or is it an excuse to raise it? I understand reducing demand is hypothetically supposed to stop the rise in prices, but I've yet to hear any easy-to-understand convincing argument when my imagination runs wild with so many other possibilities. That's from Ruth Cherry. I'm sure the editor heard that, Ruth, and uh, it will be forthcoming. My good friend Daniela Modas-Cutter says, thank you for your work. I'm really interested in your workers' party. I'm disabled, and you're the only party who talk about full services for the disabled. I nearly joined the uh, SEP, I don't know what that is, but I found they were too rigid politically for me. And any suggestion I made was dismissed 
even though I've worked across three campaigns in the last three years to get improved ventilation into schools and to support online others who are CEV, giving advice on school-related issues, benefits, etc. Thank you, Daniela. We'd be uh, honoured to have you. Speaking of schools, uh, the teachers were on strike in Britain today. And I want to say this because I see a lot of prejudice around. If you don't think that Britain's teachers deserve better pay, then you obviously don't have children or you have forgotten what it is like to have children. You hand over your most precious thing, your children, to a perfect stranger who nurtures them and educates them every five, five days a week for 15 years, nearly, and who educate them, protect them, keep them safe, nurture them, and all for less than you would pay for commercial childcare. Get real. Our teachers deserve more pay and more respect. Now, speaking of respect, I took to my library this week to talk about my respect. Boris Johnson claims that Vladimir Putin threatened to kill him. In fact, threatened to kill all of us because he was going to kill him with a missile and that would have hit a lot of people, even though Boris is a rather big target. Now, this is on the front page of every British newspaper. It's in every British news bulletin. I've no doubt that, like the proverbial lie, it's already halfway around the world. And you see, my problem is I simply can't believe Boris Johnson. I don't believe him any more than his previous employers have believed him. His previous wives have believed him. Other people's husbands have believed him. I don't believe him any more than the Conservative MPs believed him when they sacked him or the Parliament believed him or, I'm sure, the late Her Majesty the Queen ever believed him. He lies for a living. Otherwise, he would have told us this remarkable story before appearing in a paid-for television interview in order to break this news. However, there is a way for Boris Johnson to prove me wrong. Boris was Prime Minister at the time of the threat, so I happen to know that every call made by the Prime Minister is recorded by the civil service in Whitehall. Now, I'm not asking for the whole tape. I'm not asking for the whole conversation. No doubt there would be diplomatic, maybe even military issues there. I just want the one clip in which Vladimir Putin threatened Boris Johnson with a missile attack on Britain. It can only be 30 seconds, 45, maybe 60 seconds. We need to see it because if it's true, it is extremely important that we know it. I don't believe that Vladimir Putin did it. I believe that Boris Johnson is lying. What do you think? Well, as it happens, the midweek mother of all talk shows is running a poll on this very matter. It's going like a train already in an hour. More than a 1,000 people have voted, and guess what? Only 27% of respondents believe Boris Johnson. Me? I want to know who these 27% are, because if they believe Boris Johnson, 
I've got a bridge in London that I could sell them going cheap. Tune in on Wednesday at 9pm UK time for the results of the poll and for the midweek mother of all talk shows. So since then, of course, 25,000 people have voted and it is ruinous, devastating for the credibility of Boris Johnson. On YouTube community, 96% of 15,000 voters believe Putin rather than Boris Johnson. Of 1,100 voters on Telegram, 98% believe Putin over Johnson on YouTube. Of 1,400 people, 97% in fact believe Putin. In fact, the only place where anybody believes Boris Johnson is on Twitter. Make of that what you will. But you can keep on voting. The poll is still opening. Let's go to Bristol, take the first call of the evening where Andrew wants to talk about the Ukraine. Go ahead, Andrew. Hi, George. I just want to say first off the top of me at yeah? Thanks for all the amazing help you've done for the Palestinian people all down the years. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for that. Thank you, Andrew. It's my duty. Wajib. Right. About Go ahead. George, I've seen lots of videos on Telegram, right, where they've been bundling these teenage boys into the car. And when they protested, they've been being beaten, and the parents were hysterical at being dragged off. And just one more thing, George, yeah? I've seen a video of a 79-year-old woman in Solidar and the, the two people, two soldiers from the Kraken had shot her in the leg and she was hiding in a bombed out house. And when the mercenaries from Wagner got to her, he was saying, no, no, there's a lady in there. And the incredible compassion, George, that these Wagner and these Russian soldiers showed to the elderly all up and down the line, they call them grandpa, grandma. It's just amazing, George. That's all I wanted to say. And do you think, George, if the British public... Well, thank... ...was yeah. shown this, do you think that that they would turn on the government or not, George, if they actually saw this, what I saw. Well, uh, that's, well, they're not taking, yeah, they're not taking any chances on that, Andrew. Uh, this is the least photographed war in history, uh, at a time when technology would allow us to see every battle in real time. Uh, we are not. We're reduced to watching videos on Telegram. Uh, we have, I presume, many, many correspondents film crews and the rest, but there is no footage of the war on television. And that is precisely for the reason that you have inferred, that if the people knew the reality of the war, the reality of the people that are most in the front line of the Ukraine fighting forces, uh, they would call for a halt to all of this. Young boys, teenagers like the ones you mentioned, old men in their 60s being forcibly bundled into cars, press-ganged and sent to the front line with the rear de de detachments of Azov and Kraken, hardcore fascists, shooting them if they turn to flee, if they seek to desert or lay down their arms. This is one of the ugliest wars in history and the Ukrainian people are paying such a high price for the perfidy of their leaders and the even worse perfidy of the Western leaders who are choreographing the whole thing. David is in Portland on neoliberalism. Can't wait. Go ahead, David. Hi. Hi, George. How's it going? All good. Nice of you to call. What would you like to say? 
I wanted to say sorry for a caller I heard last week named Kim. Um, I moved here from... Yeah, it was from, uh, from your town, yeah? Yeah, I, I moved here in 2015 from a town in Florida. Uh, a lot of the reasons why I moved here was because of how progressive I thought it was. How, uh, you know, I always saw yeah. them protesting and standing up for rights that didn't happen in Florida at all or that it did on a much smaller scale. I came up here, um, I, it, it seemed great during Trump's presidency how everybody was willing to hold the government accountable. Uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests, there were, we were out there for 160 nights out of that, that summer of uh, BLM protests, and these trans people, uh, it sounded like Kim was a trans woman that called, uh, they were at the front line. They were the most active. They were, they were out there gung-ho, ready for any kind of progressive reform. But once Trump was no longer in office, they took up the flag of Joe Biden. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I didn't want any establishment blood on my hands. And I told some of my friends that, and I got called crazy things. I, I, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I got called a communist. And out here in Portland, it's just... So that the neoliberalism is so strong that no matter what the Democratic Party says, no matter their support for Ukraine, uh, they will go at any lengths to insult people. Um, and I, I thought this was a mecca for progressivism, but it's obviously not now that we have a blue president and they're not holding him accountable yeah. for things like military. I, I don't know. I don't know where you can. Uh, I don't know where you can move to next, uh, David, because uh, the last time I was in Portland, it was exactly like you described uh, as in the early days during the Trump days. But it just goes to show that if you scratch a liberal, you'll find a reactionary underneath. And that's true on your side of the Atlantic. It's true on this side uh, of the Atlantic. I'm guessing that it's true all over the world. When it comes to pussy hats and liberalism, they're also right on. But when it comes to matters of war and peace, when it comes to matters of the railway workers being uh, broken uh, under a blue-collar Democratic president, as Joe Biden laughably always described himself. I used to hear him say he was pro-labor. He's so pro-labor, he broke the railway workers in America on a wheel. Uh, when it comes to the things that really, really matter, I'm afraid the liberals are found wanting. Thank you, David, uh, for that. And for the good people in Portland, Oregon, I take my hat off uh, to you. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Well, the famous Man United are on the way to Wembley. Well done, lads. 2 nothing tonight, 5 nothing on aggregate and facing Newcastle United. And uh, that's going to be quite a final. I know for many of you that's not of any importance, but it's of great importance to me and my boys. Uh, we're reconnecting to Brian at the moment, so we've got the very best line. So let me set the scene as I see it. In just a few days, as I said, we've moved on from whether or not NATO countries should 
supply German Panzer tanks to the Ukrainian armed forces. We've moved on to a demand from the regime in Kiev for long-range missiles that could land shells inside Russia and, of course, create a state of war between NATO and the Russian Federation, which would quickly escalate, I promise you, into a nuclear war. At least battlefield nuclear weapons, and then, as soon as somebody was losing, uh, the stepping up to intermediate and even intercontinental nuclear exchanges. The end of the world, in other words. But that's what the Kiev regime are demanding. Now, you may say that nobody in their right mind would agree to that demand, but that's what you said about the German panzers, with all the history redolent in such a decision. They have even demanded one of Germany's submarines from the German Navy, although, as Medvedev put out, Ukraine will soon have no sea to sail it in. And they are demanding F-16s. Joe Biden has ruled it out, but then he ruled out uh, Abrams tanks not that long ago, and now he's sending Abrams tanks, although they'll not be there to the end of the year. Mind you, they are slow-moving beasts because the Abrams tank gets two miles to the gallon of jet fuel. Two miles to the gallon of jet fuel. And when it arrives on the battlefield, if there is still a battlefield by the end of the year, it'll be a sitting duck. And then, of course, the destruction of the American tanks will fuel the demand for still more powerful and deadly weaponry. The Ukrainian people are suffering mightily for having been used and abused by the NATO leaders as a proxy war against the Russian Federation. And they cannot say that they were not warned. They cannot say that Russia did not warn them as long ago as the Munich conference in 2008. 2008. Putin set out Russia's security requirements, which were no more, were indeed less than, had been promised to Gorbachev by the United States government at the fall of the Berlin Wall and the evacuation from eastern Germany of Soviet forces. Not one inch to the east will NATO expand. That's what they promised. So they cannot say that they did not see all of this coming. And yet, here we are in the place that we have found ourselves. Brian Berlitek, former US Marine, geopolitical analyst, founder of the New Atlas, and a guest very much in demand on... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Line joins us now. Brian, thank you very much. 
for that. Uh, just for the benefit of those not as well versed in, in the military situation as you. And it's very difficult to be so because virtually nothing that is true is featured in the mainstream media about the military situation. It's all propaganda and hogwash. Uh, sketch for us the situation. I have a sense that in the last few days, maybe one week, Russia has begun to advance big time across a very large piece of the front. Am I right? Uh, yes, Russia has been making advances. Um, I just want to say thank you for having me on. It is quite an honor uh, to continue giving an overview of the situation. Uh, Russia has been, from the very beginning, doing this very incrementally, very carefully, very patiently. They're trying to conserve their fighting capacity, the, the lives of their men and their equipment, and they are moving forward incrementally, bit by bit, and this is depicted by the Western media as incompetence or as failure. Uh, and this is all because the Western media wants to perpetuate this proxy war for as long as possible and for as long as profitable. Now, uh, they told us in the beginning that the defense of Bakhmut was a strategic imperative. Then when it looked ready to fall, they said it was strategically uh, meaningless. Uh, now that it is surrounded uh, virtually on all sides, what is it, meaningless or strategically vital? It's interesting because now they're using the, the encirclement of Bakhmut as uh, uh, impetus to call for all sorts of new armed shipments, tanks. Uh, we're even hearing calls for missiles and warplanes. Um, and in reality, Bakhmut, along with Seversk, Solidar, Adivka, outside of Donetsk City. This is one of the last main defense lines of the Ukrainian military in the east. If Bakhmut falls, if Russia takes the city, there's a huge hole in their defensive network that is going to be difficult for them to plug. And it's also going to expose the, the now uh, flanks to the north and, and the south of this uh, Ukrainian defensive line. So what's the end game that you can see for the Russians, Brian? Uh, at first, I thought that they were going to seek uh, to consolidate along the, the Dnipro uh, River, uh, hold the east, uh, Donetsk, Lugansk. But now I think, actually, that doesn't solve Russia's problems. At the very least, they have to take the entire coastline uh, and leave Western Ukraine landlocked. Some say that they will have to take the whole country. Stoltenberg said so today on behalf of NATO. Uh, what's your take as a, as a military man of great experience? I think that Russia is eventually, their, their, their goal right now is to demilitarized to secure the Donbas region. Uh, as they do that, though, as they demilitarize Ukraine in, in the Donbas region, if the Ukrainian military is destroyed, how are they going to uh, defend territory anywhere else in Ukraine? So uh, a lot of people are talking about Russia having to fight their way to Odessa to, uh, to leave what's left of Ukraine landlocked. 
I mean, they might not have to do that. If the Ukrainian military's fighting capacity collapses, if the government in Kiev collapses uh, between military defeat, the infrastructure being whittled away, they might not have to fight their way to Odessa. They just kind of uh, fall into their hands. I find it very difficult to imagine this war ending without Odessa being once again a Russian city. Can you? I, I, I have speculated from the very beginning that eventually they will want Odessa one way or another. Now, the Russian government has never said anything to that effect, although there have been some hints toward it. Uh, but I, I, I agree. I think the end game here has to be a Ukraine that no longer poses a threat uh, to Russian-speaking Ukrainians inside what's left of the country and uh, to Russia or any, any other of its neighbors. What would happen classically here, Brian, and uh, if I'd had time to research it, I'd have given you an example, but I know that it's the case. What would happen classically here is that the government in Kiev would fall, the military would take over as the people people responsible for the remaining soldiers and their lives and welfare, answerable for the remaining soldiers and their lives and welfare, and would seek to negotiate uh, a settlement. Uh, with the, would seek to negotiate uh, a settlement uh, with the military power that has defeated them. Uh, do you see any military power that has defeated them? Uh, do you see any signs of that? Is that a credible outcome in your view? Any signs of that? Is that a credible outcome? This is very difficult to, to, uh, to, to speculate about because the Ukrainian military is, uh, from, from top to bottom, it is infested with extremists. Uh, at, at the very top, the general staff, and many of the, the extremists that have been peppered into the, the ground forces, uh, as you, you mentioned earlier in the program, uh, uh, to, to punish Ukrainian soldiers for withdrawing. The idea of the military being more rational than the government in Kiev, I, I, I just find that very hard to imagine. And at the end of the day, both the military and the government in Ukraine, they, they're merely proxies of Washington, I think eventually this is going to have to come down to putting Washington in a place where it has no choice but but to negotiate an end to this that is uh, on favorable terms for Russia. Uh, These tanks that they're sending, I I don't believe are going to make any difference. NATO has sent hundreds, hundreds of Soviet-era tanks to Ukraine, tanks they were familiar with, that they could maintain themselves, that they had ammunition for. And Russia destroyed all of those. Now that the idea is to send Western main battle tanks that Ukraine has no experience operating or sustaining on the battlefields. They're going to have to be trained from scratch, even if they were tankers uh, previously. This is still going to take months, if not years, to set this up. Uh, uh, when a nation decides to use a new type of weapon system, like a tank or an aircraft, or a new missile system, it takes years to integrate it into their way of fighting. This is not something you can do overnight. I I saw Poland talking about reducing the training down to five weeks. This is uh, ridiculous. It's also irresponsible because they're going to be sending these crews to their deaths. Uh, Are likely to make much uh, of a difference. We'll ask how good a tank this Leopard is anyway. And of course, we'll have to ask about the American Abrams tank. I do hope we haven't gone off the air. I'm going to behave as if we're still on the air. Uh, Putin denies the Boris death threat. Who do you believe 
Well, 26,756 people have voted, and it's on YouTube community, 96% pro-Putin, 98% on Telegram, pro-Putin, 97% on YouTube, on the show, uh, pro-Putin, only on Twitter, where 7,982 people have voted, is there any kind of majority for Boris Johnson, the fools in the kennels of the NATO mongrel pack didn't realize that actually there was thousands of people voting on these other platforms. You'd need, as Oscar Wilde said, on the death scene of Little Nell, a heart of stone not to laugh. Woof, woof. Now, Brian Berlatic is back. Brian, just before we were rudely interrupted, uh, you, I was asking you, uh, how effective you think, just to give one example, the two Leopard tanks being donated by Canada might be on the battlefield, or the others coming from Germany and elsewhere are likely to be. What's your take on that? Uh, so, so as I was saying, uh, NATO has already sent hundreds of Soviet-era tanks to Ukraine. Ukraine started uh, the special military operation out with around 1,000 uh, tanks. Uh, the ones that NATO had previously sent were tanks that Ukrainian crews would have been familiar with, their technicians able to maintain on the battlefield. These new Western main battle tanks that they're going to be sending to Ukraine, uh, you have to train the crews, the technicians from scratch if anything breaks down on them. You have to be sent back to Poland to be repaired. That's a thousand kilometer trip one way from the front line and then another thousand kilometers back to the front line. Uh, these tanks have been used in conflicts recently. We've seen how they fare against even older Russian-made anti-tank weapons. They fare very poorly, and they're going to fare even worse against uh, the armed forces of the Ru Russian Federation. Uh, so they're not going to make a difference. It's going to drag this out longer. It's going to get, unfortunately, more people on both sides killed, uh, but it's not going to change the outcome. Now, I made the point earlier that uh, Joe Biden has ruled out uh, the supply of F-16s uh, currently demanded. Germany has ruled out giving one of their seven submarines from their Navy. And uh, so far, nobody is giving this long-range artillery. Uh, but as we found before, that which is refused at one point, isn't necessarily ruled out forever. Do you expect this upping of the ante to continue? I do. I think they're going to send these attackums that they've been asking for. Uh, before that, they're going to be sending a slightly longer range uh, rockets than the, the ones the HIMARS are firing right now. I believe they're going to start making preparations to send aircraft because they're, they have no better alternative. The only alternative that they have is to either negotiate an end to this on Russia's terms, uh, leave Ukrainians out on the battlefield with just small arms. Uh, they, they can't do either one of those at the moment. The, the problem that the U.S. and NATO have is they're not capable of winning this conflict. and They're not psychologically capable of losing it either. And so they want to draw it out for as long as possible. And that's what this this whole process involves. And uh, incidentally, 
And going back to some of the things uh, uh, Lee Camp was saying, they will be making huge sums of money doing this, backfill orders. Uh, these M1 Abrams the U.S. is talking about sending to Ukraine, these are going to be built specifically for Ukraine. That's why it'll take over a year to get them there. Uh, so they're, they're going to make a huge profit, win or lose. Now, uh, the, the situation with uh, weaponry, of course, is, is one thing. But an army marches uh, first on the economic uh, strength of the country whose army it is. Now, uh, Ukraine now effectively has no economy at all. So what about the economies of the countries that are fueling the war? They are all uh, in recession or about to go into recession, the German economy today in recession, the British economy in recession, the uh, other European economies in a parlous uh, state. And the other thing it marches on is the morale of the society back home. Now, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, the reason why this war cannot be honestly debated in the Western mainstream media is that there is no popular support in Western countries. It shrunk. It existed last summer, wave of sentimental waving of flags and so on, but it has rapidly uh, shrunk and, and collapsed, actually, as the economic situation, the energy bills and so on have come home to roost. So we have Western countries whose public have to be denied truthful information in order to quell any potential revolt against what we're doing. The economies of the countries doing the fueling uh, in a parlous state, uh, that doesn't all add up to a war-winning formula to me, does it to you? I, I think, unfortunately, the West will find the money to keep pumping into Ukraine now as as you're alluding to, it's going to make Europe suffer first and foremost. Uh, the, the United States to a lesser degree, but they, they have problems accumulating over many years of fighting endless wars to begin with. I, I think the real problem is going to lie with the arms industry. Despite all of the money they make, they, they try to maximize their profits. And to do that, they have cut corners where having your production always ready for a conflict like this uh, does not exist. That capability does not exist, and it's not something you can turn on overnight. It's going to take them years to, to regain this capability, and Ukraine doesn't have years. So I think that is going to hit before anything else. Uh, the, the money pouring into Ukraine instead of in, into infrastructure and programs back across the West, that, that's going to hurt the public. But as you say, and as your, your poll that, that you're conducting is suffering this attack by people who are obsessed with manipulating public perception. And that's what most of this is all about, manipulating public perception, as if convincing everyone that you're winning is the same as actually winning. And, and I think they're going to learn the hard way that it's not the same. I, I, yes, I, I firmly believe that. I, I'm a bit surprised that, uh, perhaps I'm being snobbish, uh, that the British civil service dirties its hands uh, with this kind of thing, but perhaps I'm thinking of a civil service that no longer exists. But when I see the filth, the obscenity, 
the misogyny, the sexism, the homophobia, uh, obsession with, with uh, male appendages and what comes out of them and so on, of the NATO support base, uh, uh, it, it shocks me that that's the best army of trolls that Western countries are able to field. I, I would have thought if, if they could have fielded a couple of hundred Brian Berletics making a better fist of what they're trying to do, they would have, uh, would have more success. Are you shocked at how low rent, low grade uh, the NATO propaganda on the ground actually is? I, I really am not. And it's, it's a problem that goes all the way to the top. We see policymakers in the West, uh, the, the idea that they thought that they could do this, the idea that they could just send weapons, not realizing that their industrial base is not capable of it. This is, this is incompetence, delusion, and also um, just a, a complete lack of humanity to, to start a war like this in the first place, a proxy war like this in the first place. And then as it filters down to, to, the, to the people, say on Twitter, trolling people, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that they, they are so lowbrow and their tactics are so uh, infantile, really. I mean, there's no other way to, to put it. No, that's right. They're like teenage, uh, vulgar teenage boys in their mother's attic, sitting in their vest and pants, uh, pounding away on the, on, on the keyboard. Uh, but uh, I, I am, I must say, surprised at it. But what you raised there, Brian, is what I call the $64,000 question, which uh, used to be called that when 64000 was a lot more dollars or worth a lot more than it is today. Uh, are our leaders fools or knaves? You see, if I was going to start a war when my military-industrial uh, complex could not actually service that war, did not have the wherewithal to arm that war, I mean, the British Armed Forces it was said by the Pentagon just this week, would run out of ammunition in a few days in a war uh, with Russia. Uh, if I was a politician uh, deciding to sanction the Russian economy, when I, would, I knew that actually I was harming myself far more than I'm going to harm Russia, Russia, the ruble, the best performing currency of the year, the Russian economy doing better, projected by the IMF to do better uh, this year than the British economy, despite all these sanctions and so on, I'd run the risk of people saying, well, you're too stupid to be running our affairs. And if you did know it, but did it anyway, you're too wicked to be running our affairs. Which is it, fool or knave? It's it's uh, it's a very hard uh, choice. I, what I see is I see a system that over over the decades, uh, the people at the top have become greedier and greedier. Um, there's nepotism. People are getting in just because of who they know, not what they actually know about uh, whatever role it is they're supposed to be uh, serving in. And we see this greed and this incompetence together. This is what's driving U.S. And, and Western foreign policy. You saw it in Afghanistan. They spent uh, over a trillion dollars on this 20-year-long war 
on programs that when you see them on paper, it looks like if they actually implemented these these programs, Afghanistan would have been uh, the 51st state of the United States. It would have been that that integrated into the, the U.S. system that they were trying to build internationally. But because of the greed, the corruption, the incompetence, all of that money was just pilfered. The programs were never fully in, implemented. The people supposed to implement them just wanted to collect their money, go home and spend it. And I think we're watching this uh, come to its its final destination uh, with Ukraine, with uh, Russia, because this is a proxy war with Russia, and also with with China. I mean, they, they had this plan to encircle and contain, dismember, divide and destroy both Russia and China. They're, they're out of time as Russia reemerges and as China rises on the global stage, they're out of time. They're rushing. And when you rush, you make bad decisions. We're watching those bad decisions get made every single day. What did you make, <coughs> pardon me, of the U.S. general who, thinking he was talking privately to 110,000 people, uh, last week said that the U.S. will be at war with China within two years? Extraordinarily precise as, far, as well as reckless. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, the way the Western media is trying to spin this is as, as, as if China is going to somehow provoke a war with the United States or leave the United States with no choice but to wage war by 2025. But in reality, it goes back to what I say. They are out of time. The U.S. needs to provoke a war with China by 2025 because after 2025, China is going to be economically and militarily too strong uh, for any conflict between the U.S., and China to end in Washington's favor. So they, they feel sooner than later. I think they're doing the exact same thing in Ukraine with Russia, and they're simply not prepared for it. They ran out of time, but they're, they're going to do it anyway because the choice is between trying and possibly succeeding, even if the odds are against them, or being forced to give up this primacy they've They've held over the planet. Western society has held over the planet for generations. Uh, they, they are just not uh, able to accept that, to accept a constructive role among other nations rather than imposing themselves upon all other nations. Brian, you've certainly lived up to your billing. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. That's Brian Belitic, former U.S. Marine geopolitical analyst, founder of The New Atlas, well worth following on all of his uh, platforms. It's now 26,756 people have voted on the question of who's telling the truth, Putin or Boris Johnson. Please keep voting. The stats are not changing in Boris's favor, I've got to tell you. In a sane country, this would be in all the newspapers tomorrow. 26,756 people have voted in a poll and overwhelmingly by more than 90% to less than 10% have preferred the word of Vladimir Putin over the word of Boris Johnson, the former prime minister, despite a full-scale mobilization of the mob. Despite that, it is overwhelming on the YouTube community poll, more than 15,000 people have voted, 96% of whom believe Putin rather than Boris. On Telegram, 
1,200 nearly have voted, 98% of whom believe Putin rather than Boris. On YouTube, 2,500 people have voted, of whom 97% of the people believe Putin rather than Boris. Only where the mob got out of their kennels uh, did Boris come out ahead, and even that is narrowing sharply amongst the 7,982 people who have voted on Twitter. Thanks again for all your super chat uh, donations. Your calls are uh, going to fill the rest of the show, but let me uh, thank Alexander Gibb, who sends £10 and says, all the best, George. See you in London on the 25th. You will, God willing, see me at the No to NATO, No to War rally on the 25th in central London. And uh, Krivch1 gives £10. Respect, GG. See you on the 25th. Thank you. Uh, Charlie O gives £4.49. On it, as always, Mr. G. Thanks, Charlie. Akram Nasser backed £4.49. Thank you for fighting the good fight, George. See you on the 25th. Linda Petit, £10. Thank you, Linda. Ma Egg, £20. Good on you for never bowing to thugs. If you don't run, they can't chase you, Ma, as I have always said. Mark Freeman uh, sends three Australian dollars. God bless you, Mark. Dan, 19 American dollars and 99 cents. Long live GG. Love you, George. Thank you, Dan. Dante Allegri, what a name. Two pounds. A gynecological political conundrum. The GG spot. <laughs> Let's not go there. Uh, Adli Ayad, five US dollars. Thanks, Adli. Vladimir Lukic, 20 euros. Thanks, Vlad. Ray West gives 20 Canadian dollars. Thanks, Ray. Casey McIver, 20 American dollars. Todd Menzing, 20 American dollars. Thanks for all of your donations. We need them in order to sustain the show. Tommy is in Glasgow on the Ukraine. Better hear from him. On your go, gone yourself, Tommy. Salam alaikum, brother. How you doing? Good boy. God bless all your listeners. Thank you, brother. Go ahead. Now, the flight, one of the flights that get pulled down, the Malaysian flight, if you remember, in July 2014, I have it in good authority yeah. that that was shot down uh, and it was an attempt at shooting down Vladimir Putin, whose plane was allegedly in the area, George. I don't know if you're aware of that or if I had any rumours of such thing. No, I'm, I'm not, so tell me more. Well, yeah, indeed. I mean, I don't... Well, from myself, I've, I've got it from a, a from a good friend. Uh, I can't really give any more information than that possibly that's what happened on that day. Now, things are getting quite serious, and people should be asking questions and wondering why, how we're getting to this stage in the world, how it looks like, like an end game is being played out. Now, we're dealing with the biggest terrorist state in the planet, America found guilty of terrorism against Nicaragua, in case anybody forgets, half a million people. The war just 20 short years ago. Who could forget what the, 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 the calamity that that was, the lies, the deceit and everything? Why should we believe anything that comes out of the, the, the opinions of America? Now, if you look, at the, the, in the last 10 years, there's been a sustained attack on Russians, uh, the Russians where they hold their, their nuclear weapons, uh, the cold water and the hot water in Syria, and and then obviously in Ukraine. 
And obviously, whatever their end game is, the, the, the United Nations of all eyes, uh, but Russia will hopefully anyway put an end to it by closing off that uh, bit in the water that uh, will landlock that country of Ukraine. Sadly, the Ukrainian people have got to live with Nazi brigands who have been there for the likes of 100 years under Stefan Banderas. He died, and hopefully, God willing, the people who are in the position now of Ukraine will suffer the same fate and move on and give us all peace, because I've had enough of them, George. Goodbye, Ukraine, and good luck and God bless for the Russians, because we need a change at the head of the hegemony. America is bankrupt. America is bust. And uh, China and Russia, hopefully they can start to, uh, well, take away the, the domination that the Americans well, have had. Make a better, uh, yeah, make a better world uh, than the one we currently have to live in. Tommy, thanks for that powerful call. Very controversial. If you want to have your say about what... Tommy just said it's 0808196552 in the UK and Ireland. In the US, plus 18449443344. In the rest of the world, 442039662625. Marcus is in England in Chorley on Putin. Go ahead, Marcus. Well, Putin's been pushed into this position and. Uh, I mean, fair play to him. Uh, he, he stood up for it for a while and then just, right, well, I've, I've told you, no more nature on my doorstep. But as regards Boris, I think uh, he twisted a conversation where Putin was co complaining that he didn't want nuclear weapons pointing over his, over his fence. And fair play to him. Yeah, uh, as, as, as of course uh, any of us would do, uh, as the United States would do, there was a Russian military base in Mexico with nuclear weapons pointing over uh, Trump's wall. Uh, you could be sure that the United States would not tolerate it for one minute. We don't need to look in the crystal ball uh, on that, Marcus. We can read the book of what happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, 60 years ago, uh, couldn't we? Well, that's the whole BRICS situation. I think he's taking down Klaus Schwab and his bunch of cronies that are going to try and more or less bring totalitarian control over the West because of the, the whole West is bankrupt. And that's why everybody's willing to give their arms to the Ukraine because they're giving away the scrap that they've been mothballed for God knows how long. And all it takes is one... I thought the... Yeah. Yeah, well, one accident. I thought the funniest thing was the, uh, the Taliban... Uh, offering to sell Russia all the American tanks and weapons that were left behind when Joe Biden done a runner in the middle of the night running away from the Taliban on their bicycles. Marcus in Chorley, thanks for that call. YouTube comment from Felix Lopez. Three times as many Russians died in the siege of Leningrad, September 8, 1941 to January 27, 1944 than Americans died in the entire war. Russia is defending the motherland, and Americans don't get it. Thanks for that, uh, Felix. Chidi is in Manchester on Putin. Go ahead, Chidi. Hi, George. A big fan. First time calling, George. Please take it easy on me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, Most welcome. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, actually, I was actually um, going to um, comment on 
Boris uh, and Putin for, you know, watching the show. And, you know, I just, it just kept on coming. Britain, America, you know, they claiming to be the good guys and they fighting the good war against Russia. Right now, at the moment, Britain is occupying an island in Africa. I'm sure you know about it, the Chagos Island, and which, you know, they've been taken to court mm-hmm. and they've been asked to, to leave and which they're not doing. When they went there, they, they evicted everyone there, threw people away from their ancestral land and claiming just to give the base to America to open a, an air base or, you know, field, whatever. So that is that. And couple with all the... That's the rules-based international order, TD. So it, it, it's quite hypocritical to be calling Russia aggressors and why they're defending their own country. NATO is the aggressor, actually. But just being quick, I'm going to go to Putin and Boris. Boris, you know, um, earlier on today, I was um, having a conversation with a couple of my friends. And we're talking about Boris and, and this whole Putin things. And especially, there was another report that came from, uh, apparently, it was in the Independent, and it was American general who says, you know, that Britain is no longer a fighting force. And the next thing is for Rishi Sunak to increase spending on war and arm um, or, you know, and stuff like that. That is that. Boris. Yeah. <laughs> that is that. Anyway, Chidi, Chidi, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've only got 15 minutes left. Thanks for that uh, excellent call from Manchester. Uh, hail, hail, Manchester United. Larry Hillman says the Abrams tanks are equipped with 70s-era armour, not the newer composite armour. Uh, they are major gas guzzlers as well, a recipe for disaster. It's funny, all these greens and all this cop, uh, cop crap that we have had to put up with over these last years has all gone for a button. Let's put an Abrams tank on the field at two miles per gallon of jet fuel. Uh, Donald, the good man in Inverness, he's on the line now. Donald, welcome back to the show, my friend. Yes, go ahead, sir. Hello, George. You mentioned the the Munich tape, uh, but nobody's called in about it, and uh, I'm very pleased Mm. to hear that so many people uh, have have responded to it uh, online. Now, what I was thinking to get your view on on this is that by excluding the Russians, we know how offended they have been by this. However, if there was a serious attempt by the West to try to de-escalate the tensions that were going on in this war. Surely this would be one way of trying to do that. And so that by excluding them, is it, in your opinion, a, a clear manifestation that there's no real attempt to de-escalate things uh, in this uh, conflict? I think that's uh, very, very well put. Very, very well put. Uh, they could have invited... Russia, Lavrov probably would have gone uh, to the 78th uh, commemoration of the liberation of the death camp at Auschwitz by the Russians. Uh, instead, they were excluded, and the Germans who built it and the Poles 
who manned it and the Ukrainians who provided the guards in the death camp were all there commemorating a camp that they built, ran, and danced with joy at the genocide that took place inside that camp while the people that liberated it were locked out. If they had wanted to, they could have uh, used it as traditionally funerals and other great state occasions and commemorations are used for a bit of private, quiet diplomacy. Uh, they clearly are not in the... And in a way, Donald, they can't because they have led their people so far down the path uh, of, uh, of pretend victory and, uh, and pretend existential uh, threat to ourselves that to now climb down is very difficult for them. Usually, the politicians who took the line that is now discredited have to make way for new politicians. And I don't see that happening uh, mm. in Britain. Donald, thank you for the mellifluous uh, English language from Inverness uh, from our good friend Donald. School of Hard Knocks says, I don't blame the German citizens directly. However, they must take some responsibility for allowing their politicians for supporting the corrupt Ukraine. Have these politicians forgotten World War II? Uh, Draghi Saha is in Canada with a question about Serbia, for which I'm always open. Go ahead, my dear friend. What would you like to say? Hi, I'm wondering what do you suggest to Serbian government where they have under heavy pressure now to recognize independence of Kosovo and Metohija? What you will do in Serbian if you in place in Serbian government? I thank you very much. And uh, well, look, I, uh, yeah, thanks uh, for the call. Uh, of course, it's a matter for uh, Serbia and the Serbian people, not for me. And uh, because I have uh, very good relations with Serbia and, uh, and go there from time to time, I, I wouldn't like to intrude on their domestic politics, except in as much as I'd say this, uh, that the notion that you can seize someone's territory and create a new state out of it uh, with, uh, without the permission or agreement of the state whose land you seized is, well, novel, especially when you have taken the world to the brink of World War III over precisely the same question in the Ukraine. That's all I'll say about that. Jack Klugman regarding the poll video, uh, Gigi dressing like a millennial. What's a millennial? <laughs> I'd just come in from chopping wood, Jack. Give me a break. The wife surprised me with the uh, camera. I thought it worked all right, but it'll never happen again. You'll never see me without a tie on again now that I've had that jibe thrust at me. Uh, Dan gives 19.99 US dollars. Long live GG. Love you, George. Thank you, Dan. Nidjas gives two pounds. God bless you, George, and your endeavors for all. Thank you. Marco Smith, two American dollars. Bojo the Clown Lies, Lee Camp knows. And James Mowat gives five pounds. Thanks, James. Kenneth, eight pound ninety-nine. Western sanctions have totally failed as the Russian economy is expected to grow by 0 0.3 in 2023 and 2.4% by 2024. According to the IMF, the Russian economy will do better than the UK. Indeed. So 
It's enough to make a horse laugh, really. Uh, Raymond is in Wales, in Swansea, on the subject of Joe Biden. Let's hear from him. Raymond, welcome. Oh, good evening, George. Um, good show again. Evening. Um, I just wanted to Thanks. point out something you said. If, if let's say, like you've, you've commented before about Joe Biden being like a puppet of like the whoever's behind the scenes, like running the show, and that whoever's the president is just a spokesperson. So I don't see any significant change happening in Ukraine unless there's like a unless there's like the election in 2024 that replaces Biden. But if what you say is true, then it doesn't really matter who's in the White House if there's like a like a conspiracy behind the White House that's controlling everything else. So is there any truth to that, or is that just like people not going to the moon, uh, and flat Earth, and whatever else? Uh, no. Oh no, I'm 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 not one of those. Uh, I happen to know the Earth is round, and uh, and I absolutely believe we went to the moon. So uh, I don't uh, think for a minute that I'm in that uh, camp. But uh, I think a president can make a difference. Jack Kennedy made a difference. That's why they murdered him. Uh, Donald Trump made a difference, and the prospect of Donald Trump again. Uh, is, has got them in a state of total panic because however bad he is on so many things, Donald Trump cannot be relied upon to follow the orders of the military-industrial complex. He, he has certain maverick characteristics which make him not a reliable option in that. And uh, I'm one of those that believes, I've said it publicly many times, that they cannot, they will have to find one way or another, and I underline that three times, of stopping Donald Trump coming back to power in uh, 2024. But this war will be over a lot quicker than 2024. And my honest opinion is that Joe Biden will not be uh, lighting the... Uh, Christmas tree in the White House by the end of this year. In fact, he'll not be the one liberating the turkey at Thanksgiving either. Uh, Ingramosh, one, gives 10 euros. Gigi, any plans to come to Germany anytime soon to talk some sense into the 54% of propagandized people here cheering on a war against Russia? Greetings from the sane and very much ashamed minority here. What a good idea. If somebody will uh, organize uh, for me to uh, speak in Germany, uh, I would be delighted to do so. I have the highest admiration for the great people of Germany, uh, some of the great heroes of my life uh, have been German. Karl Marx was a German, Rosa Luxemburg uh, a German, Karl Liebknecht a German and my late and uh, very fine friend, not in the political field, Uwe Brandt, God rest his soul, was one of my dearest uh, friends in life. I, uh, ha I wrote a piece recently which was translated into uh, German. I think you'll find it in Deutsche Welle. Uh, I uh, have the greatest uh, respect for the people of Germany. And the fact that 54% of them are propagandized into cheering on a war against Russia means that the rest haven't been. And that is a good base uh, from which to work. I believe it's possible 
to turn German public opinion around. I believe it's possible uh, to bring this German government down and replace it with a better one. And if I could play any part in doing that, I would be honored uh, to do so. The happy little fox, a.k.a. Benji, says those who seek Russia's defeat on the battlefield probably had a poor education, don't know history very well, and do not understand what Russia is. That's a quote attributed to Sergei Lavrov. Uh, last call, I think. It's Kenny in Acton. All I can tell you is it's not on NATO. <laughs> or is it on NATO? Go on, Kenny. Surprise me. Hi, George. Me and my friend Nelson are both coming to the No to NATO event, right? Nelson's from Chile. And he's actually a big fan of yours. He told okay. me that he used to watch your videos on YouTube years before he met me. Nelson and I have been friends for about okay. four years, but he said they used to watch you when you were used to debate with Peter Hitchens. He really enjoyed them. Yeah. And he's pretty much the yeah. same persuasion of you. But Nelson owns the cafe called Red Lion Cafe in High Holborn, which is in Red Lion Square Gardens, okay. which is actually right next to the Conway Hall where the... I've many times eaten there and, in fact, have met Nelson. So Are give him my seriously? regards, please. It's, yes, I have. Uh, it's very unfortunate right? that we'll not be in Red Lion Square. Right. Well, he, he was going to invite you and your comrade speakers to the cafe for an after event, and he was going to have a close private function. So he's asked me to ask you if you and your comrades would come after the event and he'll make it up a closed private What a good function. idea. Yeah. What a good idea. Right. I might take you up on that, Kenny, and George, but thank him for it in any yeah. case. Yes. His cafe's got a theme tune, an anthem, and I would like to sing it. Oh, go on. Okay. I like to drink wine, and money is fine, but I like the girls even more. Viva el vino, viva el dinero, viva, viva el amor. With wine on your lips, and money in your pocket, and your sweetheart in your arms, you're rich as you can be. So lift up your glass, let's sing it all together. Muchachos, caballeros, make this toast for me. We'll drink one more time to money and wine. Let's drink to the girls we adore. Viva el vino, viva el dinero, viva, viva el amor. Cha, cha, cha. Well, there you go, Kenny in Acton, bringing the show to a rip-roaring close. Uh, you can never tell what you're going to get on the mother of all talk shows. I do not endorse that song. I uh, I'm abhor vino and believe that dinero is, the love of dinero is the root of all evil. But uh, it was a good turn, Kenny, in Acton. And do give Nelson uh, my regards. Unfortunately, uh, that is uh, all we've got time for, uh, except to quickly review the poll and its importance. Uh, Putin denies Boris's death threat. Who do you believe? Well, out of 27,743 people, virtually no one, virtually no one, except the dogs of war, the mongrels of war, 
on Twitter believes Boris Johnson. Now, that is after an entire year of the most intense propaganda bombardment, a truly phenomenal result. And as I said earlier, in a sane news culture, this would be in tomorrow morning's newspapers, that despite all the propaganda, 96%, 98%, 97%, and 47% believe Putin rather than Johnson. This is something I've never seen before, never imagined that the result of this poll, it was devised by me, I'm glad to say, it is well over double the biggest poll uh, that we have ever had on the show, uh, which is very encouraging. And the result is encouraging too. It shows that all is not what it seems. It shows that what seems like a docile, sheep-like, propagandized mass in the public is not necessarily so, that it is possible that if shown leadership that the public can be rallied for a different line on the basis that the line we're on is a disaster for us and for the world. Which is why we in no to NATO, no to war, are seeking to fill a vacuum. There is a total vacuum in British politics. There is no opposition in Parliament, not a single MP in a House of 650 challenges the line that we are on in this war. This is unprecedented in the entire parliamentary history of this country. Charles James Fox, the greatest of all parliamentarians, tabled a motion in the House of Commons congratulating the people of France on the execution of their king and queen, and looking forward to the day when the same fate befell the crowned heads of Europe. Charles Fox tabled that in the British Parliament. Now we have a British Parliament that is merely a rubber stamp, where the government and the opposition are one, two cheeks of the same arse. We're not a single dissonant voice can be heard. And so we have no parliamentary democracy. We have no media plurality, even of the kind we had back 20 years ago at the time of the Iraq war, when under the editorship of Piers Morgan, the Daily Mirror opposed the war, and where someone like me would be on television or radio arguing against the war virtually every single day. 20 years on, none of that is true. Every newspaper is behind Joe Biden and the proxy war against Russia. Nobody like me will ever be on TV or on radio, will ever be allowed a column in the newspaper to argue a dissident point of view. And there is no meaningful, organized, clear, on the streets alternative being offered by any anti-war organization. So into that vacuum we have 
stepped. We are the new anti-war movement. Follow us on social media. No to NATO, no to war. And be with us in central London on the 25th of February as we seek to launch a mighty movement against war, against NATO, and for justice in our land and all lands. It's been marvelous for me. I hope it has been for you. And if it was, then please join us on Sunday for the mothership, for the original mother of all talk shows. 700, sorry, 974,000 people watched Moats in the last week. Make sure you bring another to join us. Good night.